love to meet you after the service and get to know you a little bit better. Let me tell you where we're at. We're in the Lifestyle of Biblical Character series. We're in week three. And last week, we talked about essentially the idea that, you know, in order to become like what you desire to become like, it's not just to do the things that that person does. It's to adopt the lifestyle of that person. So the routines, the, the habits, the rhythms of that life. And in fact, that's discipleship, right? We talked about three steps of discipleship. One is to sort of drop everything and go and learn from that teacher. But then the second step is to become like that teacher. So they would, in Jesus' time, they would follow their rabbi everywhere. When the rabbi would eat, you would eat. When the rabbi would sleep, you would sleep. And it even got as awkward as to when your rabbi would go to the bathroom, you'd go to the bathroom. It got that weird, right? But that's kind of the process we skip a lot of times in our discipleship to Jesus, is the becoming like. And then, of course, the third step was to go and teach others to do the same. To drop everything and follow after Jesus and learn his ways and then to become like him. And last week we talked about the lifestyle of Jesus. And one of the things that marked his life was he often withdrew to pray. We talked about the idea that often as Christians we will just graze on the energy that God gives to us, right? We wake up in the morning, God, please bless this day. Help me not to kill somebody today because I'm really angry, right? You know, and then we move on with our day. And that's the end of receiving our energy. But God desires for us to go into the unseen, away from the seen, and into the unseen, and really just embrace this energy that only He can give us. And so the action step from last week was, can we take an hour this week away from everything else and just receive this energy from God. So for those of you who did that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but for those of you who did that, did you notice any kind of difference in your spiritual energy? Any, anybody want to give some head? Okay, about three of you, four of you, okay. That's all right. Hey, one at a time, right? But yeah, if you did that, you know that you received energy from Him for your souls, for your mind, for your heart, and all those things. And this week, we're going to talk about another lifestyle of Jesus, and essentially it's just this bluntly. It says, uh, Jesus consistently engaged those who were viewed by the religious elites of the day as dirty, no good for anything sinners. So I thought I'd just lay it out there, bluntly. At this time, the religious leaders of the day especially made categories of people, right? There were low categories, and if you're going to make low categories, there's also going to be high categories. And... In politics, there's this brilliant strategy that if you can just put somebody in a category, then you don't have to articulate any arguments, you don't have to get behind what is true or even process through it, you just dismiss that person. Or if that person associates even with that group of people, you can go ahead and dismiss them that way as well. And this is what the Pharisees are doing with Jesus at this time. They would say, oh... He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Don't bother with this guy. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. See, they disqualified him in their minds because he associated with these groups of tax collectors and sinners. And undoubtedly, when you do that, you also put other people or probably yourself in a high category. So remember in John chapter 18 when Jesus is um, on trial, essentially, with the Jewish leaders. And they ask him a question and he just answers it. And one of the leaders slaps him across the face and he says, what, how, how dare you talk to the high priest like that? As if to say there are those who ought to be esteemed and then there are those you ought not associate with. 
So there's all kinds of categories going on here. You have those who should be esteemed and those who ought not to be associated with. And because they had already dismissed Jesus by his association with these groups of people, then Jesus could do anything and they would just dismiss it, right? Heal the lame. And they'd say, you know, you really ought not do that on the Sabbath. Right? It's just, it's just done. He's done. Um, all because they created categories of people. Now in Matthew chapter 9, their heads are going to explode. Because Jesus not only is associating with tax collectors, that was already a bridge too far. Now he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And that was a sign in that day especially of intimacy. If you were to eat with somebody, that was a sign of intimacy. That there was a genuine relationship there. But not only that, it doesn't even stop there. Jesus has now called a tax collector to be his disciple. I mean, this is radical. This is unheard of at this time. Because what this means, remember, if you were called to follow, then it was baked in that you would eventually be a great teacher. Remember when he calls Peter, he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That was a a saying of, you will become a great teacher. So right now in this moment, he's telling this tax collector, the perceived scum of society, hey, you will become a great teacher. And now this was way too far for the Pharisees at this time. Let's get back into it. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So again, drop everything. This is the first step in our discipleship to Jesus. Abandon your current life and drop everything and follow after Jesus. And this is what Matthew has decided to do here. And, and in this moment, Jesus is foundationally shifting what the kingdom of God looks like in this moment. He's saying it's no longer about your righteousness that's earned your way. It is about his righteousness. And that's it. There's no prerequisite except for humility to drop everything and follow after Jesus. This is a culture-shifting moment in this time. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, there's a lot to unpack here, but let's take that last part first. It seems strange that that Jesus makes these categories, right, of of righteous and sinners. Because you look at Romans chapter 3 and Paul says, no one is righteous, no, not one, right? And even Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, he says, no one is good but God alone. So how could he say righteous and sinners? Well, in order for us to understand that, we got to go back to the last statement. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now these two words, mercy and sacrifice, tell us a whole lot about how we view the gospel. So when our emphasis is on sacrifice... What we're saying is my position is here and anything that I do is a sacrifice. So even sometimes we'll feel like we're being generous towards God whenever we do things. God, look at what I'm giving up. Kind of like when when they say, you know, didn't we drive out demons in your name? Like, don't you owe us 
something here, God? I mean, look at all the sacrifices we've made, right? We've done these things for you, so now, in return, you ought to do something for us. We should be in good with you because of the things that we're doing here. And if that's, the pro- if that's our thinking, then the problem is, if we're focused on our own sacrifice, we will never be focused on His sacrifice, And so it's a fundamental shift that Jesus is making here. It really doesn't matter what you've done to try to get in good with God. It just doesn't matter because it will never be enough. In fact, the scripture says that it's like filthy rags, that we will never be righteous. It is his righteousness and his alone. So I believe what Jesus is saying here is, look, if you believe that you're righteous, I don't have anything here to say to you. But if you know that you're a sinner, then I have something to offer to you. And so to understand and embrace the reality of the gospel, we need to know that we stand in the exact same place as the tax collector and the sinner. And when that's the case, we'll say, instead of saying, why why, why do you eat with these people? You'll say, God, thank you so much that you do eat with these people because I'm one of them. And so we'll start to think, I really desire mercy, not sacrifice. When we know who we are, when we know that we've fallen short and our righteousness could never obtain the righteousness of Jesus, then we say, God, thank you that that you do have mercy. And I, I just want to embrace this mercy so much more deeply. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. And that's where my heart's going to be, not on sacrifice, but on mercy on mercy and he tells the pharisees he says go and learn what this means i love that now a couple things here one evidently they they don't end up going and learning what this means because if you flash forward to matthew chapter 12 he says this if you had known what this means i desire mercy not sacrifice you wouldn't condemn the guiltless so in matthew chapter 9 he's inviting them into understanding here and and they could have looked at Hosea chapter 6. They could have gone back to Hosea chapter 6, which says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And, and this is so crucial, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So the idea here is where our focus is. If our focus is on His righteousness, then we'll be a people of humility and asking for mercy. But if it's on our righteousness, then we will continue to create categories of people and look down upon people. And that's why at communion, we don't bring burnt offerings and sacrifices. We remember his sacrifice because it is the ultimate sacrifice. It is the final sacrifice, and there's no more sacrifices to give. So we bring our remembrance instead. But by the way, I I think if you're you're feeling condemned by this so far, I want you to know that often we think that Jesus came to scold the Pharisees, but really he didn't. He came to continue to create tensions for them to turn towards him. And so you think about um, Luke chapter 15, probably the most famous chapter of parables in the whole scriptures. And, and it starts with this, before the prodigal son story, before uh, the lost coin, before the lost sheep, it says this, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, Even as they grumble, this is so important, even as they grumble and he shares this prodigal son's story, remember what he's saying with this story. 
It starts with the tax collectors and sinners. Another translation says they've been drawn near to Jesus. Okay? So in the prodigal son's story, when the prodigal son returns home, this is representative of the tax collectors and sinners in this moment. But then the story ends with the father pleading with the older brother. He says, uh, but we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost, but is found. So Jesus ends it this way, as if to say to the Pharisees who are listening, look, you can be a part of this too. If you'll just humble yourself, if you'll just realize that you're on that same wavelength as your brother, the fact that, that you don't have righteousness that can earn favor with me either, the fact that even your obedience is rooted in some sort of selfish motivation because you just want to get ahead and you wanted your inheritance too and you thought you'd earn it this way. If you just humble yourself and just say, man, I'd like to come to the party. I just want to come to the party. And all I've got to do to do that is just humbly come before you and say, it is your righteousness, Father, and it's not my own. And it's not my own. I, I need your mercy just like the, the perceived scum of society, the prostitutes, the rapists, the murderers. I am on that same wavelength. I need your righteousness just like that group does. And thank God that he uses murderers to share the gospel. Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's the guy that God tells us what love is through, through this murderer. So who are we to say there's categories of people and the gospel is not for this group of people, it's just for this one. Because the gospel is powerful. In fact, Paul says this to, uh, in 1 Timothy 1.15, and this is just a, a great saying for us to be a mantra in this church. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The point is that God can work with that mentality. God can work with that mentality that, that is focused on mercy and not sacrifice. Paul knew that no one is better than anyone else in the kingdom of God. And that's why he calls out Peter in Galatians 2 for his prejudice against the Gentiles in front of the Jews He's saying, don't you know, Peter, don't you remember who you were when Jesus found you? Don't you remember that you were just some punk kid who, who was like over-aggressive all the time and, and it wasn't you that changed? It was Jesus that changed you? Do you remember that? Do you remember it wasn't anything that you earned? And so for us, it's to say, man, everybody is on the same wavelength. It is his righteousness and not our own. We don't change. He changes us. And I hope, y'all, as Grace Meadows Church, that we will just always remember this reality and this truth. And when we do embrace this truth of mercy and not sacrifice, now we want those perceived grimy to walk through those doors each week. I mean, we want people who are in rough shape walking through those doors. You know, people that like kind of make you hold your purse or your wallet just a little bit tighter, you know, that's the group of people that we want here. The people that maybe, you know, there's some funky smells going on, you know, that's the people that we want here. We want them here. Why? Because time and time again, we, th we see through the scriptures that because it's his righteousness and not our own, he works through people we just never would have imagined he would work through. And so we can see the gospel take into places that we just never even imagined if we'll humble ourselves to desire 
mercy and not sacrifice. A couple months ago, we talked about how God looks at people as lost and found. And, you know, I think within that found category, we can either become humble or proud. And sometimes when we become proud, it's because we forget how lost we were. And I think sometimes we diminish the fact of what God can do in the people who seem to be very, very lost. But think about the book of Matthew. You know who writes the book of Matthew? Likely it's Matthew. You think about the the very first book of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, the lineage going up to Jesus, the fulfillment of the old covenant The honor goes to the former tax collector. Jesus is saying, I'm doing something new here. Everybody's on the same wavelength. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter any of that. It matters my righteousness and your willingness just to come to me and just say, yeah, I'll I'll follow you. I mean, I'll just drop everything and I'll just follow after you. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is making new wine. Now, a couple verses later, after Matthew 9, 9 through 13, we skip down to verse 16. Jesus says this. He says, No one sews a, a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. So see what he's doing here. After you've washed clothes a few times, the shrinking sort of subsides a bit. So if you put a new patch on that old garment, what's going to happen is that new patch is going to shrink a whole lot and it's going to pull on that thread and it's going to make the tear even worse. So what Jesus is saying here, he's fundamentally shifting everything in this moment and he's saying essentially no more patch jobs. It's not, you know, in the old covenant it was fix some things in your life, make things just a little bit better, patch some things up, but now he's saying it's time for a whole new wardrobe. It's time to put on the righteousness of Christ. And I think that's what Paul means in Colossians 3 when he says, put on the characteristics of Christ. It's time for a whole new way forward. It's time for a brand new way. Put on this new garment because everything is changing for all time in this moment. Verse 17. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out. And the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So grape juice, as it ferments, it expands. And an old wineskin is not flexible or pliable to tolerate it. So when it expands, then the wineskin will burst. So there are limits on what the old covenant can do. What are you saying here? But now that... Jesus' death and resurrection has made a way for us to be with him forever. And now we have the Holy Spirit in us. It is living life in the Spirit. That's the new way forward. It's staying in step with the Spirit and moving along with the Spirit. And there's flexibility in that, in this new wineskin, so that you can continue to grow and grow and grow as a disciple of Jesus in his name. And so there never has to be categories of people again. Because he's fulfilled the old covenant... And he's made a new covenant. Now there never has to be categories of people again. There's just all of us being like this tax collector and the sinners. There are no more categories except for that. 
So instead, let us just be a people who embrace the perceived grimiest of our culture, just like Jesus did, man. Now, that doesn't mean we, we don't protect our heart in those times. It doesn't mean that we, we, we don't uh, uh, see that maybe we're being influenced by the world and need to put some guardrails and things up. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that, that these groups of people that we perceive as grimy need to be our best friends. It just simply means that we don't withhold the fact that, that Jesus can do so much in anybody's life because it's his righteousness and not our own. He can take a tax collector and make him write the first book of the New Testament. He can take the Apostle Paul, a murderer of Christians, and make him be the one that he, he writes most of the New Testament through. He can take a zealot who just wanted to kill people, essentially, like a suicide bomber of today, and make him someone who is patient and kind and loving. That's the power of what Jesus can do. And so for us, let us never put any kind of limits on what he can do. Now, I do also want to point to 1 Corinthians 5. If you, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, you may be a little bit confused by this teaching because Paul says, uh, don't, don't eat with sinners, essentially. But the context is very clear here. He's talking about those in the church who are, um, who are prideful about their sin. They're boasting about their sin. And not only that, but they are uh, disrupting the church services because of their sin. So he's saying, essentially, cast them out until there's a repentance there. But the gospel message has always been, eat with sinners. Man, engage sinners just the way Christ did. So, here's where I want to leave us today. Matthew is such a unique gospel. Matthew chapter 1, again, you know, the genealogy of Jesus shows that he is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And then in Matthew chapter 2, we see that the Gentile kingmakers of the day, the Magi, declare him as king. As if to say, Jesus is king for all people. And then in Matthew 28, uh, Matthew ends with the Great Commission, which says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. So when you see nations throughout the scriptures, really we're talking about groups of people. So take, take the gospel to all groups of people. As if, and this is as if to say, now that I'm here, this thing is open for everybody you no longer have to say it's just for this group of people, just for the people like me. This group is for everybody. Since I am no longer the one who is righteous, or I don't have to feel like I'm righteous anymore because I've casted that righteousness on him, now this thing is open for everybody. And we can go, and we can baptize, and we can teach others to obey for all time, moving forward. Not thinking about categories of people. So, the question really is, what are we going to do with this Great Commission? You know, I mean, uh, you think about it, this is really our time, and we don't know how much time that we have on this earth. And he's asked us to go and make disciples of all groups of people. So what does that look like for us here moving forward in this time? In an era where the church seems to be 
in decline in America. This is our time. And by the way, do we have to concede that that's the reality? I don't think so. I don't think we have to concede that reality. I think just because people are saying this is the way it is, that doesn't mean it has to be that way. That Jesus can work in our hearts, in our lives, in the people around us, if we'll just submit to him, if we'll just say, God, it's your righteousness, I need it, here's my game plan. I mean, there's so many forces of darkness that I think we see in our community, in our nation right now. But we can say in the name of Jesus that those forces need to get out of my heart and out of my life. And they don't need to be here. And in the name of Jesus, like, you're going to do a work in this community. And the enemy can't have a foothold in my heart, in my family's heart, in my church's heart, in my community's heart. And that there can be really good things that happen in our community. Do we believe that? Because all I know is that his authority is above all. Because that's what Matthew tells us in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to Christ. And so we don't have to look at these statistics and say, yeah, yeah, I mean, it just, man, we'll just run out the clock. I mean, there's these groups of people that they're just ruining everything, and man, it's just bad. Or we can say, God, I know you've done movements before. I know what you're capable of, and we call on you to do it again, starting in my heart, starting in the heart of my family to say, the enemy, you can't have the heart of my family You can't have the heart of my church. You can't have the heart of this community because that belongs to Jesus for all time, for all time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that because it's your righteousness, what a relief. I mean, what a relief. Let me just come to you and and we can just say, yeah, God, whatever you desire in my life, like we can just say yes because... We know it's, it's not about sacrifice, it's about, your, it's about your mercy. I mean, there's nothing we can do to sacrifice enough. It is your sacrifice that is the fulfillment of all sacrifice forevermore. And so help us to be a people of mercy. Help us to be a people who embrace those who are perceived as just the worst among us. Help us to be that group of people. Help us to be a people who celebrate that that this group was lost and now it is found in your name. Father, make us a people of no prejudice, of no just categories of people. Make us a people who just say, God, I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad that you have mercy. I'm so glad that you eat with the tax collectors and sinners because that's exactly where I was. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen.